The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash Florio and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash Florio. F-L-O-R-I-O. Thanks for your help. Yeah, he plays he plays with an extreme poise, um, but also with poise and urgency. If I can mix poise and urgency, he's never he's, ne- he's never too lag. He's just always, he's just on point. He's on point, ready to go. Um, and he, like, the way that he plays with that swag, with that swag that mm. um, that just leads all the way down to the rest of the offense, down to the rest of the team, something that everybody can build off. Of. So, like I said, he has it. Brandon Ayuk, who caught two touchdown passes and had over 120 receiving yards on Sunday for the 49ers on Brock Purdy. All that angst, all that consternation, all that concern about whether or not Brock Purdy was just a fluky flash in the pan last year, exits with the elbow injury in the NFC Championship, and he's back. And he's got something. It really is amazing. The last guy taken in the draft becomes the new age Tom Brady. I don't want to get ahead of myself because he hasn't done anything yet in the postseason. But just the idea, well, just the idea that you find you find the guy that the 49ers believe will be the year-in and year-out starter. This is a Tony Romo type of a situation. Maybe that's a better comparison. That's a better comparison. Even yeah, though Romo so was undrafted. Just, but just somebody who's going to be your guy with the potential to be instead of Hey, when it's time for the draft, instead of saying pick 199, it's pick 256. That makes the narrative even better. Hey, folks, watch the draft all the way through to the very end because you never know when the last guy taken is going to become a potential high-end championship caliber quarterback. But Purdy looked great on Sunday in Pittsburgh. The 49ers looked great. And, man, these there's a 49ers-Cowboys game looming on Sunday night, I think week five. Who boy. Is that going to be something? And, uh, you know, we just we continue and, and, and hovering over all of it. And, and look, if we learned nothing on Monday night, it's that quarterbacks can get injured. And the 49ers have this ridiculous, weird 
desecrated a burial ground curse with their quarterbacks getting injured. And so that's it's definitely on the radar screen for the 49ers. It wasn't on the radar screen apparently for the Jets, but it's there for the 49ers. And now that it's happened to Aaron Rodgers, that's, that's going to be the thing that continues with Brock Purdy. People are going to kind of half-hold their breath every time that he drops back to throw. But, you know, he keeps going, at least so far. And if he keeps going and keeps going, 49ers look like the best team in the NFL right now, Miles. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the only thing that gave Brock Purdy problems on Sunday was T.J. Watt. And even with that, I mean, they absolutely blasted the Steelers. So I, you got to like where the 49ers are right now. I anticipate them to go into so- SoFi Stadium on Sunday and take it to the Rams, too. No matter how good the Rams looked against the Seahawks, they have not beaten the, the 49ers in the regular season since 2018. And that's when I still worked there. So that's been a really, really long time. I don't see that coming to an end on Sunday. Well, and the fact that the Rams went to Seattle and won so convincingly is the exact thing that Kyle Shanahan will take to wake up his team and keep them focused and not allow them to be complacent. They, the Rams did the 49ers a favor by winning that game (laughs) because now full focus on the, on the LA Rams. Hey, you know, yeah, these aren't the Cardinals, these these are still a team that uh, of Rams players that can that can come out and win a game. Sorry, another stray for the Cardinals, but I mean, I, I hey, the Cardinals didn't get blown off the field on Sunday, which makes me very concerned didn't. about the Commanders. Frankly, I'm very concerned about the Commanders now that the Cardinals mm-hmm. didn't get blown off the field. All right, the Vikings didn't get blown off the field, but they lost at home on a day <laughs> when. Everything was pointing to a win. All the factors, all the tangibles and intangibles, the throwback uniforms, the Bud Grant ceremony, the fact that it was 1 o'clock Eastern. 1 o'clock Eastern, Kirk Cousins is Superman. Primetime, Kirk Cousins is Clark Kent. And so when the Vikings looked ordinary, when the Vikings should have won that game easily. It felt like it was just a matter of time before the dam broke and the Vikings would win. Now you got Baker Mayfield apparently telling Rashad White that they picked up the Vikings' defensive signals, which doesn't bode well for the future. It all comes down to whether or not Kirk Cousins can get it done. And here's Kevin O'Connell, coach of the Vikings, on how to keep Kirk Cousins being aggressive despite the fact that he had some red zone mistakes on Sunday. I think uh, you know it was a it was a situation where he you know he felt like he, you know that's a that's a not even a half a click that's maybe a quarter of a click away from probably being a catch and then KJ's got a chance to split two and maybe score. Um, I think looking at it again, uh, thirteen yard line wherever we were, it's going to be a little tighter. Things happen faster. Uh, you know that's that's a play that Kirk's executed. Uh, multiple times and and we want to he knows he's going to continue to stay aggressive in those moments and there's no question that we would have loved to finish that drive with a touchdown but um, always want him to be aggressive uh, play what he sees and uh, you know he 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 did a lot of really good things yesterday as well to help us stay in the football game despite the turnovers and the penalties you know being so favored uh, critically and you know against us. Three first-half turnovers for Kirk Cousins against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that one, look, that one's the one that O'Connor was referring to. It was a half-click away from being uh, a touchdown. And uh, when he threw it, you would have thought, hey, this is. But it's a little bit behind the receiver. It's a little bit behind the Mm -hmm. receiver. Now, it had to be a little bit behind because you had a safety there ready to lay the lumber. 
on KJ Osborne, but this is not the way you want the season to start, obviously. If you're any team, you're at home, big day, team that went, you know, what was it last year? How many games did they win? 13, 13 and 4. They won 11 one-score games. These were the games they found a way to win, and it just felt like they were going to find a way to win it, and it fell apart. You saw Kirk Cousins there frustrated. Justin Jefferson was looking dejected near the end of the game, as he should have. The the Vikings just didn't have it on Sunday, and they got a turnaround on a short week and go to Philadelphia, where they got plastered last year. One of their ugly performances last year in a season full of great ones. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do on a short week. Now, last time we saw them rebound from a difficult home loss on a short week, they beat the Patriots on Thanksgiving night, but that was at home. This is into Philly for the Eagles' home opener, and the Eagles had a little bit of a close call. They give Nick Sirianni some ammunition to get their attention and get their focus for Thursday night. I I know what tomorrow night's going to be. And and if I'm wrong, so be it. But I know what tomorrow night's going to be. Uh-huh. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me what it was going to be. I, I didn't know that you weren't no, going know, to say it because you don't have to say it. I don't to want to say, say it. it. I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to say I'll it. say it for you. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is going to go in and it's going to be prime time. And then, you know, he's going to throw a couple interceptions and he's not going to look very good. That, to me, is what you were getting at. And I'm pretty sure that's what you meant. And you just didn't really want to say it. But I guess I have to articulate it for you. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I mean, I... I, I I watched the quarterback series like with, you know, I, I was very encaptured by it and, and I really enjoyed it. But I just I wonder how frustrated sometimes that Kevin O'Connell gets with Kirk Cousins, because Kevin O'Connell to me seems like a very, very good offensive schemer, offensive play caller. I, I've heard many times the good effect that he had on those 2021 Rams as the offensive coordinator and the influence he had on Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford and all of that. So I think he really knows what he's doing. And so when he is in that explanation and he's like kind of searching for the words of what exactly he wants to say about Kirk Cousins and how that throw was, uh, I guess a half a tick late, you know, it's something that it's interesting to me. It's like, how have you coached that route? Right. And how have you coached kind of the speed of what the defense can do and how that ball needs to be out on time and all these different kinds of things. So I, I'm really interested in what that relationship is like and what that dynamic is like behind the scenes, A, and then B, like what Kevin O'Connell actually really thinks. And I don't think we'll ever really know that. But this is one where at least you get to flush it quickly, right? Because sometimes, you know, these bad losses, they can linger for a little bit. But when you have to move on to the next page that quickly and guys after that game are literally getting massages in the locker room, you know, they're getting in the ice bath quicker than they usually would from a Sunday to Sunday, then that kind of does help you flush the loss because you just have to move on that much quicker. Maybe that's what happens this week for the Vikings and they go to Philadelphia and they put up a good showing. Maybe. And if they don't, they go to 0-2. And, and then you got the Chargers coming to town after your little mini-buy for week three. You could be looking at 0-3. Panthers, maybe a respite if they could pull it off in Carolina. Oh, and then here come the Chiefs. So the Vikings may be staring down the barrel of a very rough start this year. And hovering over all of it, Miles, the fact that Kirk Cousins is a lame duck. And I know that guys enter their contract years all the time without anything beyond it. It doesn't happen 
with quarterbacks who regard themselves as fringe top 10. He was on Dan Patrick's show after the quarterback series came out, and he was asked the question about franchise quarterback top five, top 10, and you could tell he wanted to put himself in that conversation. No, 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 no. You're not in that conversation. And the the, the unfortunate thing about the quarterback series, it kind of created this late career popularity for Kirk Cousins. He was very likable. People enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I think it just makes him more content to be exactly what he is. Look, being exactly what he is has brought him this far. And he can carve out a space in that room in the house in Michigan for a Super Bowl trophy. It ain't ever going to be there, Kirk. Not unless you go to the 49ers at some point and you have a team around you that can carry you to the top of the mountain. It's not happening in Minnesota. And this is it for him in Minnesota. And again, the fact that the Vikings, I believe, are going to do everything they can next year to get themselves in position to get a franchise quarterback, even if it means parting with Justin Jefferson. And I said, if they don't sign him before week one, he's potentially trade bait to move up to get Drake May or Caleb Williams because that's what the Vikings want. They can say, oh, we're going to try to develop Jaron Hall. No, they want a franchise quarterback because that's what's been missing since Fran Tarkenton. And it's not Kirk Cousins. It's just not. And the fact that they know it and he knows it is going to potentially mar the whole season, especially if it gets off to a bad start. There's going to be a point where the air just comes out of the balloon and it's just like, hey, this is the bookend of last year. Last year, we pulled a lot of rabbits out of our butt. This year, there ain't no rabbits left. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, that's an interesting hypothetical to play out, man. You know, you're trading Justin Jefferson in order to get in the conversation for Caleb Williams. Oh, my gosh. That, 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 that kind of blew my mind a little bit there. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Kirk Cousins can recover from this, especially because it's a primetime game. And, you know, we know the narrative, right? We're just setting it out there without even saying it. Kirk Cousins doesn't play well in primetime. The numbers kind of do bear that out as well. But I think that there is an opportunity here to go into Philadelphia and at least play well. You know, you don't want to take moral victories away from anything, especially for a team that won 13 games last year. But if you play well, you're at least riding the ship in some way, you know, but you can't have three turnovers by your quarterback and still expect to win most games. You, you just kind of can't do that. I mean, it's the same thing with Josh Allen and the Bills, right? You have four turnovers by your quarterback. That's going to really, really hurt you. So I, I don't know what they've really got to do in order to flush that thing this quickly, but they do. They you have to put it behind you because you have to have that next play, next game, whatever is next mentality. Can't let one loss become two. Yes. That's the key. Got to get More over that cliches. loss. And if this, if this wasn't in Philadelphia, it might be different. But home opener for the Eagles, first game there since they won the NFC Championship, and also a little sluggish on Sunday against the Patriots, a wake-up call for them. Can you imagine how loud and ugly it will be if the Eagles are losing at halftime? You heard the boos at halftime at MetLife Stadium on Sunday night when the Cowboys were up big. It'll be relentless in Philadelphia if that's what would happen. And look, one of the things things we learn – throughout the weeks and the ups and downs of a football season, every time we think we have something figured out, we find out we have no idea what we're we're talking about. We have no idea what's going on. These teams are too tightly packed together. It takes a play here, a play there, a moment here, a moment there, and a game that would have gone one way goes the other way. It's just the way it happens. So we don't know what's going to happen this week as much as we didn't know what was going to happen last week. We just don't know. 
And that's part of the fun. That's why I've, I've developed this, this bias against predicting outcomes of games. I just want to enjoy the games. I don't want to have to root for my yeah. predictions to be right. I just want to sit back and just say, hey, this is something. I don't need – like I say, I don't need to gamble because I don't need that extra little kick to enjoy football. I don't need to have this hope that my predictions are right to enjoy football. I just like to sit back and enjoy it. So Thursday night, sit back and enjoy it until it's 24-3 Philadelphia, and then you can you know, go do something else unless you're an Eagles fan because when you're an Eagles fan in that situation, you like to ride it all the way to the end. You like to enjoy those nights where the third quarter and the fourth quarter is just kind of a scrimmage in advance of the next game. Let's go ahead and take a break. The PFT Power Rankings are out, and there has been some movement after we finally have a game that counts, and plenty of people are upset by where their teams are because, hey, if you aren't number one, you're upset. That's kind of the way it goes. We'll discuss the Power Rankings when PFT Live continues right after this. It's time. It's Wednesday. It's the Pro Football Talk Power Rankings presented by Toyota. This is the week two edition. Plenty of movement as we finally see these teams play in games. We get an idea of what they are, at least what they are for now. The 49ers, to me, without question, belong in the number one spot with the Chiefs losing. If the Chiefs had won, I would have had a an interesting thought process. If the Chiefs had barely won, if they had driven down the field and barely beaten the Lions, after the 49ers did what they did to the Steelers, would I have flip-flopped the 49ers and the Chiefs? If I had, Chiefs fans would have been up in arms. That's the reality of these power rankings. And we get so much engagement from them, and most of it is negative because people are pissed that their teams aren't higher. If we won our game, we should be in the top five. And if we lost our game, you shouldn't drop us because there's a very good reason why we lost that game and we're still pretty damn good. See, Fans are still in that preseason, early season mindset where everything's going to be fine. We have a chance to get to the playoffs. If we get to the playoffs, we win the Super Bowl. They don't want to be reminded that somebody is going to be 32nd, 31st, 30th, 29th. And they get mad. And they also want for the teams that had great performances. A lot of Cowboys fans are mad that they did get put at number one because they beat the Giants 40 to nothing. But, Miles, I did the best I could under the circumstances. I'll allow you. Because I really don't care. I'll allow you to say whatever you want to say to criticize these power rankings, which have served their purpose this week, as evidenced by the fact that so many people are upset about them. Yes. Yeah, that is kind of their only purpose, right? Well, I I think you did get it right with the 49ers at number one. I did like that. I think that that's very good. I think you put the Bengals too low. Putting them out of the top 10, I think, is a little bit of a mistake. And once they win and they show what they really are, then they will come back. But, you know, I mean, even as a native Clevelander, I think some of that stuff might have been a little bit of a mirage because that's what Kevin Stefanski's Browns teams have done to the Cincinnati Bengals teams, especially at Cleveland Brown Stadium. I mean, like, look at what they did on Halloween last year. They absolutely dismantled Joe Burrow. But I think that there were some good things there. Um, you know what? I, I think you also might still have the bills a little bit too high at number 10. I don't know. There's just some things going on with the don't bills, ask, especially. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, that's I'm to placate saying. the bills fans. 
That's I know. A, I, they were already mad that I had him at eight. They're already mad I had him at eight. So uh, I don't. Well, you know, I'm trying to. I'm I'm trying to process and manage how much negativity comes my way. So okay. you and I both believe the Bills are going to sink this year, but I think yes. because of their recent history, we have to let them do the sinking before we drop them down to the point where we think they're going to be. Because you and I both think, as I've been saying, this is a Jenga tower 20 moves in, and it's very wobbly, and I think it's in the process of falling. After losing to the Jets on Monday night, it's in the process of falling. It is in the process of falling, but we'll see. I mean, I think I do think that they're going to write the ship this week going against the Raiders. You know, look out in that first half. That might be one where Josh Allen really, really explodes. So that's what I would say about that. The other quibble, I guess, I, Dolphins at number two. That's an interesting one, Mike, because they did look good. And they, I think they could have looked even better against um, the Chargers at that game at SoFi over the weekend. I mean, it was a really good performance by Tua Tungabailoa, especially late in that game. I liked what he did in that drive where he had to have it and he went to Tyreek Hill and Tyreek Hill was as good as he's ever been in that game. So I think that that really helped them. But the early turnovers from Tua Tungabailoa, two fumbles on that first drive, did not like that. I mean, that kept points off the board. Then he had a, an interception to J.C. Jackson when they were deep in plus territory. Didn't really like that either. So he had 466 yards. I think he could have gone over 500 in that game. So we'll see where the Dolphins go. And they've got to tweak some things defensively too, which I think they'll be able to with Vic Fangio. But that's one where I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm, I'm putting them at two quite yet, Mike. Peter King, who grew up a Giants fan, texted me that they should be 34, not 14 after losing <laughs> on Sunday night the way they did. But I still believe that that game got off the rails quickly, and that's exactly the kind of game where the Cowboys are going to blow you out. That block field goal changed everything, and then yep. there, you know, it went 6 nothing, 9 nothing, 16 nothing. It was over at that point. You're not going to come out of a 16-point deficit against those Cowboys with that defense, fueled by Micah Parsons and designed by Dan Quinn. So I that that's the, the, the challenge. I don't want to overreact to week one, but just like with the Bengals and the Browns, I looked at it this way. I had the Browns in the 20s because they, the, they were the biggest wild card to me. Well, yeah. they manhandled the Bengals. So I had to bring them up enough and the Bengals down enough so the Browns would be ahead of them because if it would have been conspicuous. If the Bengals come down and the Browns come up and there's like three or four spots between them, I would have never heard the end of it from Browns fans, including the Browns fans in my own family, who would be like, wait a minute, did you not watch the game? We won 24-3. to How are the Bengals ahead of us in the power rankings? So I'll admit that that was kind of a forced, okay, I got to have the Browns ahead of the Bengals. So I got to drop the Bengals far enough and bring the Browns up high enough that, that the Browns leapfrog the Bengals and the Bengals now have the opportunity to – they're, they're still number 12 after that performance, 82 passing yards from Joe Burrow, and they're still number 12. So, you know, they have a chance to prove that – Week one was a fluke starting this week against the Ravens. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that they will. I mean, they're going to be at home. They're going to be, you know, revved up. Joe Burrow certainly going to be fired up. You know, Jamar Chase not going against the elves anymore. So, you know, it gets to beat the, uh, the rat birds instead. Oh, you mean the original Browns? The original I, I Browns, said what I, the team that was I the Browns. I said what I said. I said what I said. Five. How about your Rams, your L.A. Rams? Biggest jump of the week. I think you jumped them a little high, too. In part. Yeah. Well, uh, well little, but uh, 
But they went to Seattle. They went to Seattle and embarrassed the Seahawks, a top 10 team, a team that we all kind of had that, you know, we're always looking for that team that's got that vibe that we can say, ooh, 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 ooh. And I had the Seahawks in the second tier behind the 49ers and the Eagles in the NFC. I had Seahawks, Giants, Cowboys as that second tier. And the Cowboys kind of put themselves toward the first tier, and the Giants and the Seahawks kind of sunk out of that second tier. And for the Rams to do what they did, I had to give them their respect. And it's kind of sad to think that even moving up 12 spots, the Rams still didn't make it to the top half. <laughs> that's, that's just I mean, kind that's of how totally bad the vibe was. Yeah. And, and I look at it this way, too. Hey, Matthew Stafford looked great, and he was slinging it, and he was making some great throws, and that was awesome. Is it sustainable? He's an old right. 35. Right now, he's the oldest starting quarterback in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers out for the year. It is not sustainable for Matthew Stafford. At some point, he's going to come up against a team that bangs him around and is going to start that spiral of injuries, injuries he never talks about, injuries we never know about, injuries he may not even tell his wife about. That just build and build and build, and all of a sudden he's not physically able to make those throws. Well, especially now because we know that Kelly Stafford will go on her podcast and start talking about whatever he says. So I guess he maybe shouldn't start telling his wife about these injuries. I will say, too, I mean, you mentioned Matthew Stafford, though. The, the really impressive thing about that Rams win was the defense. They allowed 12 yards in the entire second half, and nine of those yards came on the game's final play in garbage time. So really, that's a three-yard performance by that defense in the second half of that game to help put that thing away. That's dominant. And I mean, when you see the clip of a uh, Geno Smith saying, Oh my God, when Aaron Donald is coming at him like that, that says something about where that team is defensively, especially with all those young guys. So, you know, I, there are good vibes right now around the Rams, certainly better than we might've expected in week one, but 49ers are coming into town. And again, the Rams have not beaten the 49ers in the regular season since 2018. So we'll see what the circle of life looks like in the NFC West. Colts fans are upset that they're at number 31 still. They lost by 10 points to the Jaguars. And, yes, they were leading. But what do you do? What do you do with a team that loses? When you're down in the cluster of the worst teams, how do you justify popping them up? Because some of the teams that were down in that cluster won. It's very difficult early on. Not that I'm saying pity me for this, but I'm just saying it's not easy to prioritize the 32 teams. We have one game to go on. And Mm -hmm. you hate to keep a a team that you had pegged for a low spot low when they were more competitive than I thought they were going to be. And the Jaguars got no reward for winning by 10. I left them where they were because I wasn't as impressed with that win as I should. I almost, I almost considered dropping them down a little bit, maybe bumping the lions up above the Jaguars because lions fans still like to remind me when I say the Jaguars should be getting the same hype. The lions do well, the lions blew out the Jaguars last year. You forget that you suck. So uh, anyway, um, <laughs> that's not why you saw. we do our best with these and we let people get upset as the season goes on, though, they accept it. It all smooths out. It all evens yes. out. It all fits into a, a, a more accepted hierarchy of teams. By then, it's just kind of like the people who play fantasy football. They're all into it the first month or two. And then when they realize they're horrible at it, that's when they 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 just accept it and move on at some point the fans of the teams that are going to be bad are just going to accept it and they'll start thinking about next year and the nfl's goal is to keep 
everyone engaged as long as possible so no one throws in the towel. But we know by Halloween we're, we're, we're going to have a pretty good idea who the worst teams are, and we're, we're kind of moving in that direction now, but we'll see how it goes. Let's take a break. When we return, we need to take a break from football per se to talk about an important lawsuit that was filed with some very strong accusations about some things that owners said that if they said them, should prompt a pretty strong reaction by 345 Park Avenue. We'll discuss the Jim Trotter lawsuit against NFL Network when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. On Tuesday, Jim Trotter, formerly of NFL Network, now with The Athletic, filed a lawsuit against the National Football League and NFL Network over his termination. Now, the frontline response by many will be, well, they simply just didn't renew his contract. He wasn't fired. We hear that all the time. Look, in an employment setting, when someone has a contract and the contract expires and the employee still wants to work there and a contract isn't tendered, it's a termination. And if you read the complaint we've posted at PFT, it's clear he wanted to continue and he was led to believe he was going to be offered a new contract. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And his argument, the most simple, basic argument is he was, and I handled cases like this when I practiced law. I tried to vindicate the rights of employees who lost their jobs for being troublemakers. He was a troublemaker in the eyes of the NFL. They retaliated against him because he was agitating for change, for better representation of minority employees in management positions and in the newsroom. And he made the mistake of asking the emperor about it in a public setting, not once, but twice. And that's frowned upon. That's his argument. He engaged in legally protected activities by trying to advocate for underrepresentation of minorities in management positions and in the newsroom. And they use that as a factor in deciding we don't want this guy here anymore. He's not aligned with us anymore. He's not a team player. He's not one of us, one of us. That's the gist of the case, Miles. Google gobble, one of us. Yeah. And 
you know, the interesting thing about this to me is you won't find anybody around the league who, you know, in our profession, what we do, that has a bad word to say about Jim Trotter and Jim Trotter's integrity. So when Jim Trotter makes accusations and puts things in a lawsuit, to me, that inherently holds water, especially when you're hearing uh, or reading, I suppose, in this case, exactly what the accusations are. And so I think that just based off of that, and kind of based off what we know about the history of some of these folks in the NFL, there are things in here that have real, real merit. And a couple of the specific allegations that have life, that, that have detail, that, that we can kind of envision it happening. There's one involving Jerry Jones prior to the Hall of Fame game in 2021. The complaint inadvertently says 2020. There was no Hall of Fame game that year, but the Cowboys-Steelers game got bumped to 2021. A conversation with Jones that started with a discussion with Will McClay, the VP of Player Personnel in Dallas, about the fact that the Cowboys don't draft many players from HCBUs. And Jim Trotter's point was, well, if you had more black executives and decision makers, maybe that would happen and got into discussion with Jerry Jones about it. And Jones, and this is, look, this is the accusation from Trotter. Jones has denied it. This will all play out in court. Jones will be questioned at length. Trotter will be questioned at length. And the transcripts will provide for some very compelling reading, I believe, especially with Jones, because I think he believes Mm -hmm. he can talk his way out of anything. But the final quote attributed to Jones in this conversation that was going nowhere between Trotter and Jones. And this comes from Trotter, who was there to hear it. This isn't secondhand. This is firsthand. Jones finally said, if blacks feel some kind of way, they should buy their own teams and hire who they want to hire. If Jones said that and Trotter is willing to put his name on the line and is willing to raise a hand, I assume, because this is where it's going to go. He's going to raise a hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole tr- truth and nothing but the truth. So help him God. He's going to say that's what Jones said. And then Jones is going to get on a witness stand and say he didn't say it. And there may be some third parties that can maybe break the tie, but it's going to come down to who a jury believes. Do you believe Jerry mm-hmm. Jones? Do you believe Jim Trotter? And, uh, you know, Miles, separate and apart from this, and I don't think the league is going to do it because they already didn't do it. What kind of investigation do they do? When does Mary Jo White show up and look mm-hmm. into this? The problem is the NFL is going to be in hunker down and defend mode. The last thing they're going to do is invite Mary Jo White in to do a real investigation. Oh, maybe they'll have her come in and whitewash everything and say that Jim Trotter's allegations have no merit because that'll help them in the lawsuit. But as long as the lawsuit is pending, and I live this, when you allege that someone in management did something wrong, said something wrong, acted in a bad way, the company decides early on, are we supporting this person or are we done with this person? And they'll circle the wagons because that protects their pocketbook protects the balance sheet. They'll circle the wagons around that guy. They're never going to admit to anything. So in this case, the NFL is never going to acknowledge that Jerry Jones said it or that Terry Pagula said what he said. That's a separate issue in this. So there's not going to be a Mary Jo White investigation. There's not going to be any real action taken. The NFL is going to hunker down and fight every step of the way because that's what they have to do to counter the Jim Trotter lawsuit because they're going to They're going to do everything they can to try to win it. 
Yes, of course. And I don't think it should be any surprise that, you know, 345 Park Avenue would circle the wagons here, especially when you're talking about one of the most influential owners that there are in all sport, not just, you know, in the NFL. And at the end of the day, the NFL owners employ Roger Goodell, right? And he runs 345 Park Avenue. So I think that that makes entirely good sense that they would circle the wagons. But Mike, I mean, because this is your area of expertise, what are kind of the next steps here in where this will go? Well, one thing that won't happen, which usually happens now, maybe they'll try to do it because they tried to do it with John Gruden. But I don't think they have any chance of pulling this case into arbitration, the secret rigged kangaroo court of 345 Park Avenue, where everything is hidden and it's all rigged in favor of the league. One of the things we reported in the aftermath of Trotter being let go, his contract did not contain a mandatory arbitration clause. And that's surprising to me because... For, for non-players who aren't part of a union, they jam those arbitration clauses in all the time. This is a failure of the NFL's legal department to not have an arbitration clause in every on-air employee's contract. There's no reason not to have it. No reason whatsoever. Because now Jim Trotter has a gateway to open court and everything that happens is going to be public record. It's all going to play out. And we're going to get deposition transcripts and we're going to see court filings as this goes. And it tells me they probably want to settle it. I think Mm -hmm. before you put Jerry Jones in a setting where he's questioned for 10 hours with with aggressive, pointed questions and he's the the best kind of witness if you're the one trying to get to the truth because he'll just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And it's frustrating when you're the lawyer because, you know, I got questions to get to, but I've been there. Just kind of sit back and let him go because eventually Mm -hmm. he's going to say something's going to help you win the case. And that's what happens if Jerry Jones testifies in this case. And then you got the Terry Pagula thing, which he'll testify at some point. And he allegedly made to someone else at NFL media a horribly racist remark that Jim Trotter wanted to have investigated and wanted action to be taken. And they swept it under the rug. Allegedly, that's all going to be part of this. And see, as the case goes forward, because what will happen is. The NFL will will file an answer to the complaint. They won't have a realistic shot at arbitration. Discovery begins. And that's the process where you take depositions under oath. You get documents, text messages, emails. Jim Trotter has the keys to the treasure trove, maybe of the 650,000 emails. Maybe that becomes part of this too, that the Washington commanders are hiding. He, He can be as aggressive as he wants to be. And the NFL can go to court and say he's trying to get too much. But at the end of the day, he'll get some stuff. He'll get some stuff if they don't settle the case. And so the case goes forward. The NFL will try at the appropriate time to get the case knocked out. They'll file what's called a motion for summary judgment. It'll fail and it'll go to trial again, barring a settlement, but it'll take three, four, five years before it's all said and done. I would assume that's typically the amount of time a case like this would take. And, uh, We'll see how it goes. And, you know, maybe the NFL will try to dismiss the case right out of the gates, come up with some argument that the case fails to state a claim on which relief can be granted because that's what defendants do just to buy time. And maybe Roger Goodell's M.O. here will be to just delay it until I'm no longer the commissioner in 2027. But this will play out in court. We've had so many of these cases over the years, recent years, where the NFL's play, especially with Brian Flores, John Gruden, Take it to arbitration, keep it hidden, keep it secret. 
Keep it from being a PR nightmare. This could be a PR nightmare for the NFL if it plays out in court and we see what the testimony is. And if at the end of the day there's a trial in court with Jim Trotter against the NFL. I don't think it'll come to that because rarely do these cases come to that, Miles. But the NFL's smart play here would be to make him an offer he won't refuse and make this case go away. And the question becomes, how much will it take for Jim Trotter, who seems to be very principled in this, how much will he say no to? How much will it take before he says, yeah, you know, I'll probably let this thing go because they've offered me more money than I ever thought I was going to make for the rest of my life. And I'm serious. It may take a number like that to get him to let go of this. He's got a tiger by the tail, and he may decide to pull as hard as he can no matter what the tiger offers him. Well, we've talked about this before when other cases have come up, right? The the civil justice system at the end of the day is about the kind of relief that you can get monetarily for whatever you are bringing to the table. And so that's why settlements happen. And it's not just, oh, it's all about the money. It's about this or it's about principle or it's this, that. I mean, that is the system of relief in the civil justice course of, of, of going to a case, right? I mean, so... I don't want to make it seem like, oh, man, well, if he settles, then what's the principle or it's this or it's that? I mean, that is at at the heart of the matter what things end up being. So that's why you get settlements. I mean, am I off base by that? No, that's what happens. Look, it becomes a business transaction for the company that gets sued. And the question is, the question is. How bad will this be for us if we don't settle? At some point, the lawyers, and this is difficult to do, and I've been on both sides. I started my career working for firms that represented the interests of businesses, and I eventually decided, you know what? I'd rather pick and choose which cases I'm going to handle because what happens is when you have a firm that has a client that keeps coming back with more and more work, which is what you want if you're working for a firm, the problem is some of those cases, you're going to look at it and say, well, you screwed this person here. Like, you're wrong. Well, you can't tell them that because you know what they'll do? They'll go find another firm to handle their cases. So I wanted to be able to represent cases I believed in. I wanted to to be able to say, okay, somebody comes in, talks to me, tells me their story. I say, sorry, you don't have anything. Or, damn, they screwed you. Let's go get them. And, you know, so for the lawyer who's representing the NFL in this, you're going to fight, 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 fight. But at some point, you got to pivot back around and say, oh, this could be a shit show if we go to trial. We're putting Jerry Jones on the witness stand. Subjecting him to cross-examination in front of a jury. You know, you got to worry about him getting possibly prosecuted for perjury, depending upon some of the stuff he may say. We put him on the witness stand. Terry Pagula, we're going to put him on the witness stand. See, these really rich and powerful people do not like to submit to any authority other than their own. And they don't mm-hmm. like it's, it's It's Nathan Jessup, Jack Nicholson, and A Few Good Men, a movie that I still don't think you've seen, even though it was not a 1980s film. You have a very powerful person who does not want to submit and thinks that they can just puff their chest and everyone will stand down. And anyone who may have a fair point to make, a fair criticism to raise, will just cower in the wake of this personality that is so strong it overpowers everyone. Gee, that's... We don't have any recent examples in other contexts that we could point to on that. That's the problem. And at some point... They got to go to Jim Trotter and say, what's it going to take? And maybe Trotter does say, I'm not settling. This is all going to get exposed. And the jury is going to decide what my fate will be. 
And I hope that's what happens. It's easy for me to say it because I'm not the one who'd be walking away from whatever they may offer him at some point mm-hmm. to get him to just go away. But I've said all along, Miles, the only way the NFL's shameful history when it comes to race is going to change is if a jury comes back with a piece of paper with a number on it that is so big that it becomes a five-alarm fire at 345 Park Avenue and they realize we've been held accountable. This number that we have to come up with is unacceptable. We must change. And that's the kind of thing that gets through to the oligarchs that own the teams. The problem is, and I, I, boy, I'd love to make this closing argument. I'm sorry, NFL, but there, there's a lot of meat on this bone. The problem is to fully send the message when whatever that final number is gets divided 32 ways, you got to multiply that final number by 32 to really get their mm-hmm. attention. And that's where punitive yes. damages come into play, to send a message to get people to change behavior. So we'll see how determined Jim Trotter is. We'll see how the evidence plays out. And at the end of the day, we'll see whether or not his lawyers can convince a jury to give the NFL an 80 years overdue wake-up call. And the wake-up call, ultimately, and this is the argument I would make, you have to multiply it by 32 to get their attention. Look at the concussion settlement. When we saw that number, and it's like, holy shit, you divide it by 32, eh, that's yacht maintenance money for a couple of months. That's nothing. So... That's where this could go, Miles. And uh, and by the way, I'm going to do a special edition of the PFTPM podcast today where I talk a lot more about it with my own legal experience and get into some of the nooks and crannies of where this can go. But, Miles, it all comes down to how determined Jim Trotter is. And if he's yes. determined, like I said, he's got that tiger by the tail. Let's see how hard he pulls. Yeah. And, and you know what? I hope he does, because, I mean, especially when you look at some of these comments, I mean, the, the thing that Terry Pagula is alleged to have said, where if blacks don't like it, they can go back. What the hell Africa. is that? I mean, it's Archie it's Bunker. It's, it's just, I mean, it's 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 almost cartoonish. I, I mean, it's as the lawsuit says, it, it's so racist that you can barely believe that anybody would say that. And you're stunned into silence and especially when Terry Pagula's wife is also a minority. And how would you feel if somebody said that she should go back to her country? I mean, how absurd is that? It's awful. It's shameful. It's ridiculous. And we also know that this is not the first time NFL owners have been alleged to have said something racist, right? I mean, think about the inmates can't be running the asylum, right? That wasn't very long ago. You know, we also know that Jerry Jones has his own history with racism. The Washington Post documented that. So these things, I don't know, in my mind, are not out of the realm of possibility. I'll, I'll put it like that. And so I, 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 I wish Jim Trotter luck in this. I, I do, because I, I'm interested to see where this goes. I, I need to say one more thing. We need to break, but... As it relates to the Pagula comments, those were not heard by Jim Trotter. Those yep. were shared by another NFL media reporter. We don't know who it is, but the, the pronoun him is used, so we at least can narrow it down. We're going to find out at some point who it was. And my, my message to anyone working at NFL Network or NFL Media, don't get this twisted. Don't be mad at Jim Trotter for selling out a colleague here. The person shared it on a Zoom meeting, and whatever the purpose, whatever was going on, whatever the background, there's no privilege that applies here. This isn't doctor-patient. This isn't 
you know, clergy privilege. This isn't spousal privilege. The person said it. And Jim Trotter is doing nothing wrong, is doing everything right by bringing it to light. And if it puts that person in a difficult spot, that person never should have shared it in a setting like that. Because you have to be pretty damn naive to not think that might not come back around at some point and turn into a thing. When you share those words that you heard from Terry Pagula. So my point is this. There's going to be people, I think, at NFL Network who get, who get upset. Oh, I can't believe Jim Trotter did this. Don't, don't go down that path, NFL Network employees. He's doing the right thing. And it may put an employee in a difficult spot, but this is the right thing to do. This needs to be brought to light, and it needs to be rectified if Terry Pagula said it. And if this person heard it, they need to get on a witness stand, and they need to tell it to a jury, and they're going to be part of this, period. And sometimes we get put in tough spots in life. This is a tough spot, but this person needs to go in and tell his story to a jury as part of this case. All right. I'll have more on that during the special edition of the PFTPM podcast. When we return, which hype trains are we climbing aboard after only one week of the regular season? We'll do that next on PFT Live. CBS 58's AJ Biopore live at Jack's American Pub, where if the Jets and Aaron Rodgers lose, the bar will cover everyone's drinks. Hello, AJ. Bill, Natalie, anyone who thinks the offer itself is petty should have been here when Aaron Rodgers left the game in the first quarter with an injury. Another condition is Aaron Rodgers must start the game, but the rules say nothing about him having to finish it. So there's a loud roar when Rodgers leaves the game hurt in the first quarter. The fans say it's nothing personal. I mean, I'm not necessarily opposed to Rodgers, but uh, tonight I'm thinking with my wallet instead. And the mood has changed considerably. That is because the Jets just won the game on a long touchdown in overtime. You can take a look. This is the reaction from a bar where people are realizing the bar tabs they've been racking up all night, thinking, certainly with Rodgers hurt, the bar was going to be paying that tab. It is setting in. They are going to have to go to the bar and pay that tab. That's where we're at. I wonder how many people just kind of slipped out the back door after that one. I remember when they announced that promotion. Yeah. And it couldn't have gone any worse for the patrons or any better for the bar. But for those three hours, even though it worked out, there's nothing that will ever erase how the owner of that bar felt from the moment <laughs> Rodgers left the game until the moment the Jets finally won. That's never going away. Yeah, I'm sure there was some probably there's some like deep feelings in the pit of your stomach when you see Aaron Rodgers just leave the game after four plays. I cannot imagine what that must have felt like. And then at the end of the game to realize the kind of business you did on a Monday night in September. Ooh, baby, that must have felt good. <laughs> All right. So through one week of the regular season on which teams are we buying the hype? That's our draft for today. Miles, who you got? I got the Dolphins. I'm, I'm buying the hype with the Dolphins. I think them being in their second year with Mike McDaniel, you know, they did have some issues, you know, with turnovers in that game against the Chargers. They could have beaten them by a, at least a touchdown, if not a little bit more. But I think that they're going to continue to improve offensively as long as Tua Tungavailoa stays healthy. And then also defensively, that unit coached up by Vic Fangio is going to improve. They're going to miss Jalen Ramsey for sure, but I think that that unit 
as they continue to grow, as Vic Fangio continues to understand what it is that they do well, they close out that game against the Chargers in a great way. I think they're going to continue to get better. Without question, I am buying the hype on the 49ers. And I know that that's not really going out far on a limb, but when I put them ahead of the Eagles in the first power rankings, Eagles fans were like, hey, we won the NFC Championship, not them. But I've believed all along, you stabilize the quarterback position, the 49ers are the class of that conference. The 49ers, I th- and this is something I said earlier this week to Chris Sims, Miles. The 49ers have been close for like each of the past five years, except for 2020 when it went off the rails early. They, they aren't going to knock on the door this year. They're not going to leave any doubt. They're going to kick it in. They're not going to have yep. close, fluky games. They're going to be boring 49ers games because they're going to do what they did to the Steelers on a regular basis this year, especially when the playoffs roll around. Yeah, I think they could be one of those teams that ends up with 14, 15 wins this year because they just seem, like you said, they just seem ready. Uh, my next pick, I'm going to go with the Jaguars because, you know what, there's an element of the unknown whenever you're facing a rookie quarterback, especially when that rookie quarterback has a new head coach and a new play caller. And yeah, Shane Steichen has called plays before around the league, but you don't quite know exactly what you're going to get, especially when it's a guy who's as talented and as dynamic as Anthony Richardson can be, as we think. But, you know, they go into that game. They were kind of messing around. I mean, they're on the road, so you had to kind of sort things out. But they separated themselves in the fourth quarter, and that's what really good teams do. So we'll really see if the hype is real with the Jaguars this week coming up. They're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be a 1 o'clock game Eastern in Jacksonville, so we anticipate that it's going to be hot. The conditions aren't going to be great, especially for the Chiefs coming in there. If they win this game, they go to 2-0. and I think the hype train's really going to start rolling for the Jags. Lions for me, and I had doubts, I had reservations, I have a long history of seeing the Lions not be very good. I wanted them to prove it to me, and they did, specifically with the way their fans showed up to support them in a tough road environment. Wait till the Seahawks get a load of what's going to happen this weekend when they come to Ford Field and those Lions fans are there. All right, we'll do one more round after the break and wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live. One more round. Which teams are we buying the hype for? Hate to end with a preposition, but sometimes it happens. Miles, we end with your pick. What do you got? I got the Browns defense. I don't know, necessarily know about that offense and Deshaun Watson yet, but man, the way that Jim Schwartz used the personnel up front, moving Miles Garrett around so that he gets the one-on-one matchups and then can just go in there and absolutely dominate. That's the kind of thing I want to continue to see, and I hope we see it against Kenny Pickett and the Steelers on Monday night. You know, I'm tempted to say the Cowboys, but... They still have to prove to me that they can do what they did on a regular basis. And there isn't much hype for the Packers, but I was saying the Packers will be good. I picked them to win the division. I'm by my own hype. The Packers. The Packers. Now, maybe the Lions will win the division instead, but that Thursday night game coming up in a couple of weeks, Packers-Lions, mm-hmm, that could be very interesting. All right. Thanks for some of your time today. we see you back here on Thursday. Have a great Wednesday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal 
and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.